Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to Episode 53 of ADA Live. Hi, everybody. My name is Barry Whaley, and I'm the Project Director for the Southeast ADA Center, and I'm your host today. Today's episode of WADA Live will be discussing small business in the ADA. The Americans with Disabilities Act requires that businesses make reasonable accommodations for qualified employees with disabilities under Title I of the Act, but keep in mind that Title I only applies to businesses with 15 or more employees. Title III of the ADA, however, requires the businesses, regardless of how many employees they have, make their goods and services available to customers and clients with disabilities. In this episode, we'll discuss small business concerns, challenges, and best practices in accommodating both employees and customers as required under the ADA. Before we begin, uh, just as a reminder, ADA Live listening audience, you could submit your question about small business in the ADA at any time at our website, adalive.org. It's my pleasure now to introduce our guest for today, Beth Melito. Beth is the Senior Executive Counsel for NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Businesses. NFIB represents about 300,000 small businesses in every state and focuses on federal and state policy and compliance assistance on all small business issues. So, Beth, welcome to our show. Barry, thank you so much for having me today. Sure, it's great. Um, Beth, let's get right into it. Let's start talking about some of the big concerns you hear from small businesses when it comes to ADA compliance. And I think the biggest question I get from small business owners um, relates to the who and the what, um, those two W questions. Um, As a small business owner, you generally know that certain legal provisions might not apply to your business under a certain size. We have a lot of laws with employee thresholds. And as you said in our introduction, there's the Title I of the ADA does contain an exemption for businesses that employ fewer than 15 people. But Title III applies to all businesses providing services to the public, regardless of the size of the business. It's, you know, any business open to the public. So, again, the who, you know, who does it apply to, who is covered, and then the second, what? What do I have to do? You know, what do I, so, oh, my gosh, this provision applies to me. What do I have to do? So it's the who and the what that I hear from most often from small business owners. And I think secondary with the what is concerns over costs, um, particularly with a public accommodation. Oh, my goodness, how much will this cost? You know, how far do I have to go? How much do I have to do? Um, so I think those are the two biggest concerns, you know, who and what. Right. I understand. And we're going to talk about cost a little bit later in the show, um, but that that's interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, 
what challenges have small businesses faced in, in you know, going back to your, your issue of the what and accommodating? Uh, in, let's start with employees. How, how, what, what, what concerns have they had in accommodating employees with disabilities? And I think most recently I'm hearing more concerns related to um, the leave issue and requests for leave. So, you know, as you said at the outset, Title I of the ADI applies to all small businesses with 15 or more employees. But I will tell you, Barry, that, you know, it's almost regardless of size, small business owners have an awareness of the ADA. And, of course, as you know, many states have you know, a disability law that has a lower employee threshold, which many small businesses are aware of and are, you know, know they're subject to. Um, so there is, you know, I want to do something. I need to do something. Um, you know, again, what is it I need to do? And then when it comes to these requests for leave um, that sometimes come in from either the physician and the physician's note or an employee, and I, I do. It does seem that more often physicians almost seem to assume that hey, every employer is going to be able to provide you know four or six weeks of unpaid leave as a reasonable accommodation, and that's simply not the case when it comes to a small business. Um, and I'll you know give an example of something that again this probably comes up about once a week. I get a call from a small business owner who again wants to do something for the employee, understands the employee needs some sort of accommodation. The business owner might not be using that term accommodation, but it's more of, you know, employee acts, you know, I want to do something for them. They can't continue in their current position. But you know, I got a note from their physician saying they need, you know, six weeks leave. And I'm just not sure I'm at the point where I can do that. Do I have to do that or is there something else? So working with the business owner um, and going through, you know, what the law is, what the law requires, and letting the business owner know that th some probing can be done. You know, again, that's not the legal term, but you are allowed to inquire a little bit more about, you know, what the employee's limitations are, and you are allowed to maybe make, you know, counteroffer. Um, as I said, I think more often than Nowadays, physicians just assume that, you know, every employer is kind of the same and is going to be able to, you know, oh, we're, we're going to give Beth six weeks off. That's not going to be a problem, you know, and she'll come back in six weeks and everything will be fine. But, you know, that's just not the case. And maybe there's something the employee can do, you know, a light duty um, or maybe, you know, in three weeks the employee could come back and do light duty. So working through with business owners that, you know, this kind of unpaid leave, it might not work for you, but then it's not necessarily what the law requires. There may be another accommodation that would work out, all that to sum up. Right, and I would, I, I would think that, that the courts themselves have led to some confusion um, with this, Beth, is that there, there's no, you know, depending on the circuit, there, there are different um, – uh, different rulings in regard to to leave, so that adds to the confusion as well. Plus, you, you know, not only ADA, but then we also have FMLA might apply in situations depending on the the size of the business as well. So, so again, it comes back to that confusion of the who and the what, wouldn't you say? Yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, I recently talked with a business owner who had kept, and this was a small business, under 10 employees, and he had kept an employee on payroll for over one year. So on payroll, on paid leave for one year, and the employee, again, the business owner was not subject to any family leave, certainly not the federal FMLA, which is the 50-employee threshold. 
um, but had kept it because of his own goodwill and also because the employer was not aware of what the law required. And he said, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe I should have checked. You know, he just assumed that he couldn't do anything or even ask anything. And, you know, after talking with me and consulting the employee, both the employee and the employer agreed that it would be best for the employee to work on, you know, law disability application because the employee said to the employer, the business owner, I'm never going to be able to come back to work. But it had taken 12 months for the business owner to, as he said, kind of get up the courage to, you know, poke the bear, if you will. And, gee, you know, do I really, how long does this need to go on for? So, again, it's just, you know, I'm kind of afraid to ask. Sometimes I, I hear from business owners. So it can be very challenging. And you're right, too, with the courts, there isn't necessarily a clear answer on the leave issue, the unpaid leave issue. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the employer um, continuing someone on full pay for a whole year while they're off or whatever. And that, to, to me, and, and this is a little off script, but it sounds like this is kind of ha- – how Americans see the essence of small business, that, that, that small business itself is very welcoming and uh, very much or, or perhaps more interested in their employees than perhaps a, a larger organization. I would agree with that. I mean, I've been at NFAB now for almost 15 years, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of, you know, being an employee, I think, sometimes in a small business is there is more flexibility that's afforded to employees. And in this situation, too, I will add that the employer had continued to pay benefits. And that was one of his big concerns with, you know, doing a termination um, is that, you know, gee, this gentleman is now not only not going to get paycheck, but is not going to have benefits anymore. But on the flip side, you know, he just, the, the business owner just could not, this was becoming very much a hardship for the business. So, but, you know, as I said, I think together, you know, finally reaching out to the employee and involving the employee's doctor, too, then, you know, I think ultimately a result was reached. I think long term it's going to be better for everybody. Right. Well, and, and thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. So, so let's switch gears for a minute because you, you mentioned um, – uh, cost is 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 always an issue, especially with small businesses. Um, and and I'm I'm wondering, Beth, let's talk about resources and tax credits, tax deductions that might be available to small businesses to comply uh, with 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 ADA and barrier removal. For instance, um, we know that there's a small business tax credit that allows for barrier removal, uh, and that credit is a five thousand uh, dollar credit. Th- then we also have the architectural deduction uh, that any business, regardless of size, could use that that would allow for um, uh, barrier removal up to $15,000. And I'm curious, small businesses, do do you believe that they are aware of these resources and utilize them? And I, unfortunately, they are not aware. Um, I, I mean, I know that for a fact, and very often, too, um, their tax professional, whether it's an accountant or a CPA um, or even just a bookkeeper, is not aware that these resources are available to. And that's unfortunate because it would be a big help, I mean, in a small business where even, you know, redoing the lines in your parking lot is some an expense that the business owner may not necessarily have planned for, to say nothing of, you know, oh, gee, I think I need to renovate my bathroom to make it accessible. 
Um, so these are resources that I think would help a lot of small businesses come into compliance or to better comply. I mean, and as you know, Barry, barrier removal is an ongoing obligation, too. So it's almost as though, you know, in some businesses, there's always improvements you could be making, too. Um, so it would be great if these resources could be better publicized. Um, I mean, I know that's something that the national network does a great job of doing here at NFIB, too. I also try to make business owners aware of it. Um, and then making, you know, tax professionals aware that this is available, too, would be a great thing. All right. Thanks, Beth. Um, so we've talked a little about the, 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 the what. Let's talk a little more about the who and, and talk about accommodations um, that, that small businesses uh, have made for people with disabilities. Can, can you talk about some successful accommodations um, among your membership that, uh, uh, that, that, that have helped to make somebody successful? Yes, and I'll, you know, at the outset I want to say that I think – often a small business might be too quick to dismiss a request for an accommodation because of concerns about cost. Um, and for the reasons we just discussed, because there are, you know, sometimes tax incentives that are available to help, um, and also sometimes community organizations, and I'll go back to that, that can help too. So I would say to small business owners, you know, don't automatically dismiss a request for accommodation simply because of cost. Um, not only could it be a violation of the ADA, but there's often alternative funding options that might be available, such as state programs or county programs even, or tax deductions. Um, and the example I'll go back to was an, a business owner who had a request from an employee for a listening device. It was essentially a new phone that the employee wanted, a specialized phone, and it was a very small business. Um, only about two employees, I think two employees, and the business owner just did not have even, you know, $100 to make any sort of office upgrade, if you will. And it was the employee who mentioned, you know, gee, you might be able to call this community, it was through a community college that offers grants, you know, essentially free check, free money, if you will, to buy this device um, where the employee was a student, at the time, and sure enough, the business owner called the community college, and the community college covered the cost of the new phone. And you know, so at the end of the day, you had a happy employee, um, a happy employer, um, and just really, the business owner was thrilled. And he said, "You know, I just didn't know services like this were available. That the help like this was available." Um, he was prepared to go out, you know, and use his credit card to purchase the equipment. Um, and he shared that at the outset. He had this was not a situation where the business owner had said, "No, I can't afford it." It was, "I don't have the cash in the bank to do this, so I guess I'm going to have to go out and charge this." And you know, I don't know when I'll pay off that credit card bill. So that was just, again, an example of, you know, don't automatically dismiss a request for an accommodation. Um, you know, another situation I had a few years ago was a business owner who owns a gas station. And an applicant had come in. He was looking for a new attendant. An applicant had come in who only had one arm. And the business owner, he called me because he said, I don't think, again, this kind of awareness about the ADA, I don't think this individual is a good fit. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you know, in the state he was in, he, the town he was in, rather, he said, we get a lot of requests from elderly folks and others who are actually are disabled, and 
need assistance pumping gas. And he said, we're very community friendly and we are out there a lot of times pumping gas. And I said, well, does this applicant, has this applicant told you that he cannot pump gas? He can't do that. He goes, well, no, he told me he could. And I said, well, have you, you know, and you should do this probably with all your applicants, you know, not just one. I mean, you don't want to single out any one individual, but, you know, bring him in. Um, give it a try. Give it a go. If otherwise he's the best qualified and has the personality for the job, which was obviously very important because they're, you know, customer focused, um, you know, give it a go. And sure enough, not a problem at all. Whereas, you know, the initial, the business owner's initial thought was, gee, you know, how could this person do this? And that's not the way to go about thinking. It's kind of changing the mindset, if you will, Barry. Um, and again, it all worked out. Um, and, that, you know, this is also, too, a reminder, and I say this when I do seminars on the ADA, you know, remember it applies to applicants. And, again, this is a good situation where the business owner knew that. So he had not said no and had not immediately written off, but was just calling for some assistance and working through. And I know, again, that's the sort of thing that the ADA National Network is so good at doing with business owners. Um, and I just I, I refer members to your networks. Um, for that very reason, because you all are the experts in working through what could be a possible accommodation. You know, how can you make this work? Well, and that's, you know, that's interesting because, um, you know, obviously a lot of times in hiring, um, uh, regardless of the size of the business, Beth, that there's unconscious bias at play on the part of, of somebody hiring. Um, you know, the, the assumption being made that someone that only had one arm could not pump gas. Uh, so, so sometimes challenging ourselves uh, in, 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 in regard to those biases is, is a good thing in being aware. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, and this is a situation, too, I, I suspect where, again, the business probably had less than 15 employees. But there was never right. any, you know, I'm going to look, rely on this threshold to get out of this law. That's not what I hear from business owners. It's what can I do um, and how can I go about doing this, you know, also knowing, keeping in mind that I've got limited means necessarily. And, right. you know, we just work on both sides. Right. But yeah, and it's it, it's good you bring up the point of resources because because often we don't we as business owners we we as people who employ people don't know what the resources are in our community and 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 then when we start looking and and, and we're surprised at how broad um, those resources can be. Um, so so thank you, Beth. I appreciate that. Let, let's talk a second about small businesses and, and, and what they face in terms of physical accessibility. And that is, is probably the more challenging area, I think, or what I hear about more, um, because, you know, again, that does not have the size exemption there. So Title III, the public access portion of the ADA, applies to all businesses providing services to the public, regardless of size. So small business owners really need to ensure compliance, ongoing compliance, I will add, um, to avoid potential legal liability. And, you know, some of the things that business owners, I, I, I counsel them to do kind of, I'll say, I don't want to say the easier things, but the more obvious things is, you know, you need to have an ongoing effort 
to make sure that your business, you've done all you can to be accessible. So starting with if you have a parking lot, you know, take a look. What is your parking lot? Do you have, you know, is, are there accessible parking spaces that are well marked, um, sized correctly, free of clutter? Um, it's not the spot that if you're, you know, a restaurant that your delivery guy just pulls up in <laughs> to hop in and out of. You know, it's kept open, accessible at all times. You want to make sure, right, that your business is welcoming from the get-go um, inside the business when it go, you know, when it comes to inside the business. Um, can individuals with disabilities enter and move around the business freely, you know, or displays or display boxes in the way. You know, you see this sometimes in retail stores. You know, it wasn't there originally, but, you know, as you've done a new display or whatever, um, again, you've got that ongoing um, obligation to make sure that, you know, you've done your barrier removal um, every day. You know, check it out. Make sure. Can somebody, you know, with a disability move through this business, move through these aisles freely? There's an accessible route. It's wide and it remains clear. Um, and then the third thing I will say, this, the kind of through the parking lot, the accessibility in the business, and then the other thing um, is service animals too. So I think, you know, I come across businesses. I live in um, Alexandria, Virginia, kind of an old quaint historic town. A lot of times you see signs on restaurants, you know, animals not accepted. Absolutely. I saw one the other day, absolutely no animals. Well, that's probably not the best sign to have up there too um, because you want to, you know, maybe that, but underneath, you know, except for service animals, or service animals are welcome. I've seen that, too, with an exclamation mark then. Um, so small businesses need to welcome individuals with a disability and their service animals. So you need to have make sure that you have a clear policy and that you've communicated this policy to your employees, too. That's very important, that service animals are welcome. And there's no you know, license that you can ask to see or that you need to ask to see or that you're, you know what I mean? If you ask to see, you know, any sort of license, that's that's illegal. Um, you know, if it's a service animal, that's it. That's where it stops, a dog or I guess in some instances I have talked to business owners that have had a pony come in. Um, but, again, communicating that to your employees. I mean, that's very important that employees are aware of that too. And just having a way to communicate with customers who have vision, hearing, or speech disabilities is very important. Um, you know, if you're a restaurant, again, this is working through, you know, what, 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 is, what can we do? How can we accommodate um, the individual? It doesn't mean that every restaurant needs to print up Braille menus, um, but there are other ways that you can, you know, communicate the menu to individuals reading it out loud, for instance. Um, so, but just make sure that you, you know, your staff knows there's an obligation to do that, and would never come out and say no. So, I think those are just a few things that small businesses can do that I encourage them to do. Um, you know, every day, making sure that everybody knows that you're open and available for business, and you'll do all you can to make sure that everybody can take advantage. Everybody in the public can take advantage of all your services and all your goods. Those are all excellent points, Beth. Thank you so much. Um, ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about small businesses in the ADA 
or any of our other ADA Live topics, you can submit your questions at any time at our online forum, adalive.org. That's adalive.org. Let's pause for a minute now for a word from our sponsor, the National Federation of Small Businesses. The National Federation of Independent Business is America's leading small business association, promoting and protecting the right of small businesses to own, operate, and grow their businesses. Check out the National Federation of Independent Business free online business resources, read about their latest advocacy efforts, and discover how the National Federation of Independent Business is working to protect the rights of small business owners coast to coast. Each day, the National Federation of Independent Business publishes brand new business resources to help small businesses succeed and grow, including tips for business success information on how the newest laws affect you, innovative business ideas, and more. To learn more, visit the National Federation of Independent Business website at www.nfib.com. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the show. We're talking today with Beth Melito, Senior Executive Counsel with the National Federation of Independent Businesses, about small businesses and the ADA. Beth, I think we've we've avoided the topic long enough, um, and it is kind of the elephant in the room that that needs to be addressed, and and this may be the time. Regarding Title III lawsuits, uh, is is this a real threat to small business, or or is this exaggerated fiction? It's a real threat to small businesses. Um, the 2016 lawsuit count, I think, was pretty remarkable. With um, 6,601 ADA Title III lawsuits that were filed just in federal court, and this is an increase over 2015. So the threat is real. Now, I do want to say that lawsuits aimed at bringing about compliance with equal rights laws like the ADA are important in advancing the cause. I, I agree with that point. But some of the serial litigators, I think, do more to rake in damages than increased accessibility. And the media, you know, stories about the lawsuits, too, it gets small business owners' attention and goes back to the concern over the cost because they see these headline lawsuits, you know, and over accessibility. And, you know, as soon as they get a demand letter or anything, it's just, you know, kind of fear and panic. And they just kind of want to make it go away. A business owner who receives a demand letter for tens of thousands of dollars in payment it's almost always going to choose to pay rather than litigate, pay the minimal amount just to, you know, make this go away because they know legal fees, court, everything is expensive. And that just really doesn't do anything, that payment to increased accessibility. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think it's important, Beth, to, 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 to make the distinction, and I think you have here, between serial litigators and, and, and the law itself, um, that, that, that the issue here is, is not the value of the law or the value of, of compliance on the, smart of, on, on the part of small business in regard to either hiring or um, physical accessibility. Um, and, and just to make sure that we understand that distinction, um, 
we have had two previous WADA episodes on on, on these very topics, um, episode 18 and, and 19, uh, which were earlier episodes. Episode 18 um, is titled, When Attorneys Come Knocking, How Accessible Is Your Business? And then there's episode 19, before employees come or before attorney, attorneys come knocking, readily readily achievable barrier removals. Um, Beth, let's move on. The, the workforce is aging. Um, additionally, uh, we know that the way we shop for goods and services has dramatically changed just in the last five or ten years. Thank God for Amazon. Um, I never have to leave the house. Um, so now we have to be concerned with both physical accessibility and web accessibility. Uh, how can small business meet these future challenges? And it is a challenge, Barry. You're right, because right now we don't have, you know, any website accessibility regulations. Courts are kind of all over the place in the lawsuits that have been filed, and there's no real clear guidelines as to what is required of a business when it comes to, you know, designing a website and accessibility. I will just say that when a business owner has asked me and asked me about anything ADA related, whether it's Title I or Title III, I tell them don't be afraid to seek help. If you get a request, whether it's from an employee or a customer, and I mean, it might, maybe it's something off the bat easy, but um, if it's something that's going to require, you know, a structural change or anything, don't be afraid to reach out and seek help. In other words, knee-jerk reaction might be to say no, don't do that. Seek help. Um, I mean, again, the ADA National Network, you all are phenomenal. Um, the centers are phenomenal and just a great resource. And, you know, call, ask for help. You know, I'm not sure I'm doing this right. I'm not sure my website is right. Is there something else I could do to make it better? Um, reach out for help. Very true. Thank, thank you, Beth. And, yes, we, we do have um, – Throughout the network, people who are, are just very talented, uh, especially in terms of uh, virtual accessibility. So, so you know, please use the national network uh, as as a resource. Um, what's one thing, Beth, that, that you'd like to share with with disability advocates um, when it comes to small business in the ADA? A lot of our listeners are are, are disability advocates, and and um, uh, what would you like them to know? That small business owners, um, when it comes to ADA regulations, don't have detailed awareness. So they're poorly socialized among small business owners. The regulations, again, awareness that there's the law and, you know, in most instances that the, the public accessibility applies to all businesses. But the regulations themselves are very complex. They're very long. Um, they're very technical, particularly the Title III regulations, very technical. Um, and small businesses don't have the expertise or the capital to understand the regulations. Um, they need help. They want help. And if a business owner's first notice of noncompliance with a law is a demand letter, um, that's not necessarily, in my opinion, a good thing and a good way about going about and making sure that the business gets into compliance. Because isn't at the end of the day what we that 
what we all want. It's for the business to be in compliance, for them to be open and accessible to the public and to employees too. So just keeping in mind that it can be very challenging for a small business owner to know all the details when it comes to the ADA regulations. And as we've talked about repeatedly here today, Barry, their resources are limited. Very, very true. And, and, and Beth, just I'll throw in a, a, a commercial now, and I will at the end too, is that um, questions about uh, ADA and questions about compliance, we have wonderful technical assistance people uh, that you can reach through our 800 number, and that number is 800-949-4232. So, uh, you know, people can reach out to us because it is very complex law, and, 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 and it's very difficult for a small business uh, or for anybody really to, to understand. Um, Beth, ADA.gov, it's a division of United States Department of, of Justice, the Civil Rights Division. They have an online course um, called Reaching Out to Customers with Disabilities. And, and that explains how the ADA applies to businesses in, in 10 short lessons. And I'm wondering, Beth, are there some other resources that you can recommend that would be helpful to, to get more small businesses and into compliance with ADA? Um, I mean, to start with, businesses can always an NFIB member. You don't have to be an NFIB member, but are always welcome to call um, NFIB, and that's just 800-NFIB-NOW, and they will be routed to the NFIB Small Business Legal Center. Um, and I talk with business owners frequently about, you know, accommodations and public access issues. And then more often, Barry, I do refer them out to experts like the ADA National Network. Um, I know that the EEOC has guidance at eoc.gov on the Title I provisions of the ADA that could be helpful. The Department of Justice, I believe, also has a hotline. Um, and in addition, they have a small business guide, um, which is available at www.ada.gov. Um, and I share that with business owners um, when they're dealing with the Title III provisions of the ADA. But there are a lot of resources there. It's publicizing them and getting the word out to small business owners. But there's a lot of free resources that are available, too, and that's wonderful. Great. Thank you, Beth. That's, that's good information. Um, <clears throat> the, the resources Beth mentioned, as well as some others, um, these resources can be found on our ADA Live website under resources. And, and we're about out of time, Beth, so, so as I like to do uh, near the end of the episode, I want you to pull out your crystal ball, dust it off, and, and tell us what the future looks like for small businesses. Well, from our economic trend survey, we're getting very positive readings, very positive feedback. Um, you know, I, I, business owners I talk with are looking to hire um, you know, it can be a challenge finding qualified workers, particularly in some areas of the country, but they're really looking to hire, and I think this bodes well for um, those looking for jobs out there. Um, and I think that, you know, working together with other groups like yours, too, and getting the word out about resources that are available, um, it, it will make it will help small businesses that might be, you know, concerned or have hesitation about hiring, um, you know, an individual with a disability, um, knowing that there's help, knowing that there's 
assistance, that it's you know not going to be quite as challenging or problematic or expensive as they might think, is a great thing. Thank you so much. Beth, we're about out of time. I want to tell you you've been a great guest. Listeners, our guest today has been Beth Melito, the Senior Executive with Executive Council with the National Federation of Independent Business. I want to remind you that this episode and all previous WADA episodes are available at our website at adalive.org. Um, episodes are archived in a variety of formats, streaming audio from our website, accessible transcripts of audio. We also have a Spanish language version of our shows, and they're available to download as, as podcasts to listen at your convenience. I want to thank you, our WADA live listening audience, for tuning in today. As always, we're thankful for your support and, and listening to this series of ADA live broadcasts. Finally, as a reminder, if you have questions on any of the topics at ADA, you can go to wadalive.org. And I hope you'll join us on March 7th for our next episode. We'll be talking with representatives from the National Council of Aging about aging in place. Finally, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can always contact your regional center at 1-800-949-4232. Again, that's 800-949-4232. And remember, all calls are free and they're confidential. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.